Dear loving Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to rejoice that we come before you as your people, instructed by your word. Help us to have willing hearts and minds which are teachable, so that your word may instruct us, and that we may truly be able to live as your people. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I've used this illustration before, that uh, when I was 13 years old, I was sent to Australia to study in boarding school. And uh, I uh, remember, uh, particularly when I was at the airport in uh, Changi Terminal 1, that's right, in those days, right, when it was, uh, it was very new. And I remember as I was going out to uh, the departure gate, you know, the, 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 the man is ready to take your ticket and everything, and you know, there were many tears in my eyes, in my parents' eyes. But I still always remember what my parents told me as I was leaving. And they told me three things. In fact, they've been telling me those three things for a long time already. Okay? Study hard. Okay? Keep warm. And don't forget to write. Uh, and uh, out of those three things, I managed to do one thing consistently. Now, I didn't manage to study very hard. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, I was not very good at writing letters. Uh, probably once a month only. But I did manage to keep warm. But I do... Remember those words because that when you when you send off someone, when you send your parting words to them as they leave for a journey or you don't see them for a long time, those are things which are really important. Those are things that you want to say and really mean to that person. And yet today when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, it seems quite strange because here is the last chapter of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians and it is his last words, his parting words. But when you look at it, it seems as if he doesn't really say very much at all. Uh, he says a few things about collecting money, a few words about his travel plans, a few words about some visitors dropping over. But apart from that, it doesn't seem particularly striking to us. There's no great message to us. In fact, it reminds me of uh, like this comedy I used to watch, Seinfeld. Right? You know, every episode of, of Seinfeld is, is supposed to be uh, uh, you know, when you ask you what, what, what is Seinfeld about, it's really about nothing much at all. Right? And that's the same thing. Someone asks you, you know, what is 1 Corinthians 16 about? People say, well, it's about nothing much really, right? because there's nothing much there. But I think that that's a problem, isn't it? Because when you, when you look on the internet and you go search for people who preach on 1 Corinthians chapter 16, actually not many people have preached on this chapter. And uh, one reason is because people look at it and they think, well, it doesn't really say very much. And most of all, it doesn't seem to say very much to us today. Because, you know, what do we care about the household of Stephanus? Why do we care about whether Apollos is going to visit us or Timothy is going to visit us? So people just ignore it. But I think it's a very big mistake. Now, when you look at this passage, in between all that personal information, there are real truths or real messages, hard messages, which Paul wants to tell the reader, which more wants to tell the church in Corinth. We miss it because we don't pick it up. We, we, our eyes don't see it because maybe we don't understand the original language well enough. But if you look in, up here on the slide, verse 13 and 14, in amongst all the personal information, there are four imperative instructions. Uh, that means in the original language, in the tone of the language, these words are direct commandments to the Corinthian church. And for the reader, they stick out like a sore thumb, right? like, a, like a red flag, like it's highlighted. And he says 
to the church in Corinth, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. And I've highlighted to you the imperative instructions right, that are there. So he's saying to them, in a very strong way, that these are the things that you must do. These are the things that you must remember. These are the words that are shouted out to people as at their departure gate before they're leaving. And I remember myself. But you know, I mean, throughout the days before I left to go to boarding school, you have normal conversation. And in the middle of the normal conversation, my parents would sort of say, that, okay, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, Beyond Bob and John McEnroe are playing Wimbledon this year. But don't forget to study hard, huh? Right? Or, right, yeah, yeah, you know, you, you missed the, the one-time time meal, the Chakwetiao, you know, you can try to go to Chinatown and Sydney. But don't forget to keep warm, okay? So, it's that sort of thing, you see? There's lots of personal information, but in between that, there are these nuggets of real instruction that you're supposed to pay attention to. And here, there are two important things. The gospel truth and love. Right, verse 13 is about the gospel truth. Verse 14 is all about love. And the truth is all about guarding it, standing firm in it, being courageous, being strong. And love is about practicing it. Now, when we have studied the whole book of 1 Corinthians, we understand why these two things are so important. Because the Corinthian church were failing in terms of holding on to the truth, practicing the truth, and they were failing in terms of love. Okay, remember how, as you've been reading the whole letter, these are the problems in the Corinthian church. So, let's look at the first thing first, alright? So, let's look at verse 13. Be on your guard, he says. Be stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong. And now, why is this important? Because as we've been looking in the book of Corinthians, we see that the church in Corinth were failing to stand firm in the gospel. In two ways they were failing to stand firm in the gospel. The first way was they were losing the gospel truth. They were in danger of wandering away from the gospel truth, from the faith that they had been taught. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which we learnt just uh, last week, it says, Now brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you've received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. See, they were, they were losing the gospel. They were in danger of believing things which would have resulted to them having a faith of no value. They would have believed in vain. So they were not, they were losing the gospel. That was one danger. The second danger is that they were not practicing, they were not living the gospel truth. They were not living the faith. So here, again, next slide. Right, they're not living the gospel. They were practicing sexual immorality. They were uh, in danger of idol worship. There was quarreling. There were factions in the church. And this is what uh, Paul said to them when he admonished them in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. 
And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See, not only were in danger of they believing the wrong thing, they were in danger of not practicing the faith, they're not, not practicing the gospel in the way that they live. And therefore, Paul said to them they must guard and stand firm in the gospel. Right? And this picture, next slide, is a picture of like an army infantryman, right? You you protect an area, you defend a position, you're not going to take a step back. You do not retreat from the truth that you already have. You do not retreat from the from from the, the, the body of of gospel truth that you have. You will not lose it. You protect it and guard it. But then why does he then go on to say, be men of courage and be strong? It doesn't seem kind of seem to fit together, right? How, how, I mean, yeah, I can understand to protect the gospel truth, to protect the right way of living by the gospel. But why do we have to be men of courage? Why do we have to be strong? Uh, literally, the word there, be men of courage, literally means be a man. Lah. Okay, that's what the, the literal word says, be a man. Okay? To be a man means you know, to be brave, to stand your ground. And the other word, to be strong, doesn't mean to be strong in the physical sense. You know, we should all go to the gym. Or maybe we should put a gym downstairs, you know, as part of church after service. We can all work out and be strong. It means to be strong, to be able to stand up to evil influence. Okay, that's why my picture shows a small man and a big animal, right? Okay? Right? You're supposed to stand up to, 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 to powerful forces against you. Now, if you understand the book of 1 Corinthians, this fits perfectly. Because part of the reason why they were losing the gospel truth, and part of the reason why they were practicing wrong things was because there were people in the church who were influencing them about the wrong things. Don't you remember? There were people who were influencing them that there was no resurrection. There were people in the church who were showing them that maybe they can practice sexual immorality and still be saved. So, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the next slide, right, they were losing the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So some people in the church were leading other people astray, saying there is no resurrection of the dead. In uh, the other chapter, in chapter 3, Paul gives a warning to people who may be leading the church astray. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, or costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. For the day, judgment day, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. And Paul here reminded them, if you remember a long time ago, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, how if you teach and preach the wrong thing, you're, you're actually destroying the church. You're building with things which will be burned up. So here, you have to be men of courage, to be strong, to stand up to these people who are taking away their faith. At the same time, there were people within the church who were they may be believing the right things, but they were practicing and living the wrong gospel. 
They were not living out the faith as it was taught in the Bible. So next slide. So remember 1 Corinthians chapter 10, they said everything is permissible. That's what they used to wear in their church camp t-shirt, right? Everything is permissible. So they could see the prostitute, they could eat food, sacrifice the idols. But then Paul went on to say not everything is beneficial, not everything is constructive. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, they boasted about how there was a man in the church who was sleeping with his stepmother. And he says, well, you shouldn't be boasting about that. Don't you know that a little yeast will work through the whole batch of dough? A little bit of wickedness will corrupt the church and lead the church away from living the gospel rightly. So, you need to be strong. You need to be courageous because there will be powerful and persuasive influences which will lead you to believe the wrong thing and to live the wrong way. And I think that that is as real and as true for us today as it was 2,000 years ago in the church in Corinth. We, as Christians, not just the pastor, right? But we as Christians, every one of you, as a church, must stand firm and guard the gospel. And to do that takes courage and takes strength. When I was in theological college, uh, there was a, a very respected and long-term member of the teaching staff in my theological college in Australia who had uh, left after many decades of serving theological college and gone off to be a pastor in a very poor part of uh, Australia. And he ministered to uh, prostitutes and to drug addicts and to very poor people. And somehow because of his experience, he really loved those people and, and many of them never turned to Jesus. And after a while, his theology changed. He began to believe that there was no judgment and that Jesus died to save everybody even if they believed in him or not. And I remember my principal had to stand up to his good friend and longtime colleague and said, what he is now teaching is not true that there is judgment, that people must receive Jesus before they are saved. And that took courage, that took strength, that took a, a, a certain fortitude. And unfortunately, that's what it will be like in our own Christian experience, I think. There may be people who are very influential in our life, or people who are our friends even, our Bible study leaders, who maybe one day will, will go astray and wander from the gospel. And we will have to have courage and strength and say, this is what the Bible says and we don't believe that what you're saying is true. I told you before of this very prominent Christian speaker, Roy, Roy Clemens, uh, one of the, at one time, uh, said to be one of the most evangelical um, speakers, best evangelical speakers of the world. And he left his wife uh, to... Uh, have a homosexual relationship with his assistant and he left the church. A few years ago, I received a personal invitation for Roy Clemens to go and listen to him in Singapore. He had come to Singapore to give a series of talks on why he felt that the Bible did not speak up against homosexuality. Now, when you receive something like that from someone who you remember as very powerful and prominent and very respectable, 
at the end of the day, you must come back to the Bible and say, we make our stand on God's Word. We make our stand and we will not move. Even if it is a respected university lecturer or theologian, even if it is someone who was a very prominent speaker. Because what I want you to notice is that in verse 13, it says, stand firm in the faith. You notice that in verse 13? Stand firm in the faith. It doesn't say stand firm in Paul, stand firm in Apollos, or stand firm in Timothy. Right? So, when you come and see the basis of our, of our faith, the basis is not on me, the pastor. The basis is not on the denomination. The, 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 the basis of our faith is not on the lecturer at theological college. We must stand firm in the gospel, in the word, in God's word, in the Bible. And that's why I think it's very important that when I come and preach to you, I preach to you from the Bible, isn't it? Because then it shows that the authority is not from me, but it comes from the Word. And that's why it's good that you actually have the Bible in front of you, because it shows that the authority is not me again, but it is the Bible sitting on your lap. And that's why sometimes, you know, I've been to churches, I'm sure that uh, if you go and visit some churches right now in Singapore, you'll notice that the pastor is not preaching from the Bible. I've been to some churches that day. They're not preaching from the Bible. They are, they're, you know, they're talking about all sorts of things. The authority is not God's word, but it is in the person. But the problem is, God says through his word, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. In the gospel truth. Not in the person. And that's why I think it's very wrong when someone said to me uh, not too long ago, that, uh, they said, oh, God has appointed the pastor over us, so we must listen to everything that the pastor says. Now, uh, that's uh, good for me if you do all that, right? But that's wrong in terms of what the Bible says. The Bible says that you must listen to me only as long as I am faithful to what the Bible is saying to you. And I think that, especially as Asians, uh, I was talking to this Australian guy last week, right? Especially as Asians, we, we tend to put the pastor very high up. So you go to some of, uh, I don't know, maybe you go to the Prosperity Gospel Church, and it's almost as if what the, what the pastor says, we cannot question. So the pastor will tell you, oh, you know, how you spend your money, the, the values you have, the lifestyle you should lead. All these things are taken without question. But the Bible is very clear. Who runs our life? Who runs your life? It is not the person. God is the one who runs your life. And God speaks through you through His Word, the Bible. Okay, so the first part here, oh, you must think the sermon is very long, right? Only one verse. Okay, so the first part here is all about the Gospel truth. But the Gospel truth must always be put together with Love, together with love. That's what we learned in the book of 1 Corinthians. Do everything in love, it says, verse 14. And the reason why this is so important is because in 1 Corinthians, we see that so many of the problems in the church of Corinth came about because they did not have love. They had lawsuits instead of love. 
They ate idle food, even though it stumbled their brother or sister. They exercised their spiritual gifts for selfish reasons instead of love. So up here on the slide, right, remember? Paul admonished them. The Bible admonished them in chapter 8. Now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If a man thinks he knows something, sorry, the man who thinks he knows something does not know yet, yet know as he ought to know, but the man who loves God is known by God. In chapter 13, he admonished those who wanted to use spiritual gifts in a selfish way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I have nothing. I gain nothing. I profit nothing. So here, he's saying, look, the principle of truth, gospel truth, must show itself also in love. When you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the last chapter, it is actually a demonstration of this love at work. Uh, you might not realize it, but when you read it, most of the motivation here is out of practical love, doing everything of love. So let's look at the first section, verse 1 to 4. Chapter 16, verse 1 to 4. Hey, chapter 16, verse 1 to 4, look at the Bible with me. I don't have an outline here, you have to look at the Bible. Chapter 16, verse 1 to 4 says, Now, about the collection of for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gifts to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. Now here, why are they meant to give this money? Well, it says that uh, in verse 1, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. So obviously the clue Right, must be what he told the churches in Galatia to do in terms of collecting the money. So, in Galatians chapter 2, right, this is what he said. Uh, James, uh, Peter and John, those who reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor the very thing I was eager to do. So I think it seems as if he was collecting money or asking the church in Corinth to collect money to give to the poor people in Jerusalem because James, Peter and John were from the church in Jerusalem. Now other parts of the Bible seem to confirm this. Okay, next slide. All right. In the book of uh, Romans chapter 15, it says, Now, However, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. For Macedonia and Achaia, Achaia is actually where 
the, the church in Corinth is. Okay, Achaia is the region where the church in Corinth is. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So this collection was not to build a church building. Okay, it was to help the poor. Uh, in Acts chapter eleven, it seems as if in Judea uh, they had a severe famine. Okay, so in verse uh, twenty-nine. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So here, Paul had said, do everything in love. And here, he was asking them to collect money to help the poor in Jerusalem. Out of love. The motivation was love. Now, very important point we can learn here. First thing is, he doesn't say, give 10% of your money. Now, I want to make it very clear to you today, that as Christians, we do not follow the 10% rule. The 10% rule was for Jews. Uh, any Jewish people here? No, right? Okay. If you were not Jewish, we don't follow the 10% rule, and we don't live in the promised land anymore. You see, the 10% was like a tax. You know, like Singapore government tax you. The 10% was like the government taxing the Jewish people to upkeep the temple. We don't have temple here. This is not a temple, this is childcare. Okay? We do not have 10% rule to upkeep the temple. Here, he says, so you give money out of love to help the poor and you give it regularly and collect the money. Second thing I want to point out to you is, he doesn't say, give money to the poor in Jerusalem so that you will be blessed. Or give money to the poor so that you will be richer. There is no prosperity gospel here in uh, what Paul is saying about giving money. Now, I was reflecting on this uh, quite a bit and I was thinking, the motivation for giving money can be very different. I can take out my wallet now, right, and uh, I can give you money, okay, but I have to ask my wife first, okay, right, I can, I can, I can give money, the same money but for different motivation. Prosperity Gospel says, ah, okay, I give $50. Why? Because I give $50 because I expect God to give me $500 back or $5,000 back. And that's what Prosperity Gospel says. The more you give, the more you get in return. But here, Paul is actually saying, you give with no expectation of return. You give out of love. Do everything out of love. The Prosperity Gospel, you give because you're selfish. Paul says you give out of love. You give because you want to help someone else. Now, that is a wonderful way of expressing love, isn't it? Because it actually shows that it's not selfish, but it's other person-centered. Now, this pastor once gave this really good illustration, and, I, and, and it so struck me that I thought, okay, I must share with the church, right? He says that, okay, if you look up this slide, okay, on the, on the right-hand side is a dam. You know what a dam is, right? A dam collects the water and stops the water from flowing. On the left is a channel. You know, a channel is where the water flows. And he said, some Christians are like a dam. They receive forgiveness, and then the forgiveness stops with them. They receive material blessing, and then the material blessing stops with them. They have spiritual gifts, but the spiritual gifts stop with them. But if you do everything out of love, you are not like a dam. You are like a channel, see? You receive material blessing, and you channel your material blessing to other people. Your spiritual gifts, you use those gifts to enrich other people. 
you have the good news of Jesus Christ and you tell other people the good news of Jesus Christ. And I think that's exactly what Paul is saying here. He's saying, look, use the wealth that they had in Corinth to help the other people. But I want you to make a note here, uh, this is an aside, about how Paul handles money in verse 1 to 4. You notice that Paul doesn't touch the money. He doesn't even count the money. He only, at most, accompanies the people who have been entrusted with the money. And I think that that's very important. Very important in church that we are completely above board with money. Someone once said that uh, if you want to fall, there are two ways of falling, main ways of falling, and, uh, is you look at people, money and sex. Okay, Wayne Rooney, sex. Okay, but money is also a very big area in which we're tempted. And I remember when I was in a, a mission trip in Australia, I won't tell you where I went, uh, we had a big evangelistic event and they collected some money. We ended up very late, about 12 o'clock. The pastor took the money and put it in his car and said that he would put it in the church in the morning. And I felt that was very wrong because we hadn't counted the money yet. So no one would know whether he took the money or he didn't take the money. Or even if he didn't take the money, it just looked wrong, isn't it? But Paul says, no, here, everything is done above board. They will select the people who will accompany the money. And he, if it is necessary, will accompany the money to Jerusalem. Now, it's not just about money that we do everything in love, right? If you want, I want you to look at verse 15 to verse 18. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. Remember I told you that Corinth, Corinth was part of the region of Achaia. Okay? Uh, we don't understand that Singapore, because Singapore is part of Singapore. But like, uh, you can say, like, I don't know, KL is part of the region of Nigris and Bilan or something. I don't know how it works. Maybe you can tell me later. Okay, um, but he says here, the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, that region, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. I urge you, brothers, to submit to such as these and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunus, also Fortunatus, and Archaicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you, for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. Now, it is not enough to love materially. As someone once said, when you, love, when you love, when you do everything out of love, it is not enough just to love with your wallet. You also have to love with your watch. Okay? And uh, it sounds uh, quite a good, good pithy thing to say. But if you look at um, this passage, you look at Stephanas as an example. right? He labored and he served the church. He took the time to go and visit Paul and encourage Paul. In fact, he says there that he provided him with refreshment as well as the church in Corinth. Alright, look at what this what it says there in verse 18. They refresh my spirit and yours also. These people refresh other people. They were not like uh, carrying a Coca-Cola, okay? But they were there with words of encouragement. They were there and they spent time with people. Now, 
Do you ever notice that about some people that when you meet them, they are like a breath of fresh air in your life? Right? They are like sunshine in your life. They have time for you. They want to encourage you. They want to help you. They want to serve and labor and do what is helpful for you. I cannot think that this is not a perfect example of practical love. That's how you love people, isn't it? You serve them, you labor, you spend time with them, you refresh them. Now, I think that we need to learn from that. Because it is said that Singaporeans are materially rich, but time poor. Have you heard that before? Singaporeans are materially rich, but time poor. But in order to love, we need to spend time serving and laboring and be refreshing to people. And you cannot refresh people without actually spending time with them and encouraging them. Now, over the last few months, I've been, I talked to various people in, in, in church, you know. People, maybe they are sick, maybe they have job problems, maybe they're missing church for whatever reason. Some of them have other difficulties. And often I'll ask them, has anybody in church spoken to you? Anybody SMS you? Anybody call you? Anybody email you? Anybody visit you? And sometimes it's quite sad because they'll say, oh, maybe one or two or three people. But I think that if we are to do everything in love, that's what it says there, right? Verse 14, I didn't make it up. It's in the Bible. Do everything in love, then we should be spending time talking to these people and encouraging them and refreshing them and serving them and laboring for them. You know, it's just that we are too busy, we, are too, we have too many things, we are too caught up with our own lives, that we have, don't, we have no time to actually love these people. But we should use the household as Stephanas as an as a encouragement, as a, as a model. That's what Paul says, such men, verse 18, such men deserve recognition. We should recognize these people and be inspired as well to refresh others and to serve them. Now let's look at the last section, verse 19 to 24. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla uh, greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my, in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Come, O Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. May my love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now when you look at this uh, last concluding final greetings, uh, what strikes you? Does that mean that we should all greet each other with a holy kiss now? Right? We should all have a friendship break and we all kiss each other on the cheek. Now I don't think that's the point, right? I think what really strikes me is verse 22. Right, verse 22. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Come, O Lord. Now I was reading my thick commentary on this passage, and he says that this is Paul's concluding exhortation to them, right? He says, um, he puts it in the ultimate language of Christian obedience. If anyone does not love the Lord, and this covers the whole letter. See, what he's basically saying is the whole letter of 1 Corinthians can be summed up of loving the Lord. If you hold on to the gospel, you are loving the Lord. If you are practicing and living the gospel, you are loving the Lord. If you love 
and do everything out of love, you are loving the Lord. Right? So if you like here the start, I summarized it for you. Next slide, right? That's what it means. That's what he's saying. It's like a code word for loving the Lord. And what he's saying is, is that this is really important. This is really important. It is not to say that, oh, well, you know, this is what Paul wants us to do. Yala, you know, hold on to the gospel, practice the gospel, do everything in love. He's saying, loving the Lord requires you to keep the gospel, to practice the gospel, and to do everything in love. And that means that if you insist on human wisdom over the gospel of Jesus, you are not loving the Lord. If you insist on using your gifts selfishly instead of helping other people and serving other people, you are not loving the Lord. If you insist on eating idle food, not that we do that, if you eat idle food and you stumble your neighbor, you are not loving your Lord. That's what he's saying in 1 Corinthians. But the last part is the scary part. If you look at verse 22, a curse be on him. A curse be on him. The word here is the word anathema. Anathema. It's actually an English word. Uh, you can look it up in your dictionaries, but it comes from the Greek anathema. And it means you are cursed by God. It is you are you are you are eternally condemned. Literally, that's what it means. If you look at the next slide, the same word is translated in uh, the book of Galatians, chapter one, which I've highlighted to you. Right? It says. If even we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be anathema. That's what it says there. Eternally condemned. As we have already said, and now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel than what you have accepted, let him be anathema. So here he's saying, if you do not hold on to the gospel, if you do not practice the gospel, if you do not do everything in love, Anathema to you, a curse be on you, you will be eternally condemned. That means that we must hold on to the gospel. We must practice the gospel. We must do everything out of love. Because here, it's like Paul, right? Plane is going to leave, boarding call already, last call, you know, get your boarding pass, calling Mr. Andrew Ong, please get on the plane now, right? Okay, and Paul is saying, remember to always love the Lord. That's what he's saying, remember to always love the Lord, or you will be cursed. Therefore, the challenge for us is we must always hold on to the gospel and practice the gospel and do everything in love. Are you doing that? Are you holding on to the gospel and living out the gospel? And are you doing everything in love? In conclusion, uh, the last two days I was at the youth retreat with the leaders at uh, Batam and um, it was a the resort is a strange resort because they have this swimming pool and the swimming pool is in green tiles and the water is green. Right? And, um, and the design of the swimming pool is a bit weird because you know usually when you have the deep end, the shallow end sort of gradually comes up. But then they design it in such a way that in the middle of the pool there's sort of this thing which just comes straight up into a shallow area. right? And then uh, we were we were sort of trying to see how far you could swim underwater, right, without breathing. And I, and I, I was the first to go, and I nearly ran into this wall. And I was like, well, who put this wall here, right? Okay? And I realized, you know, I was very fortunate because if I hit the wall, I'd probably end up with stitches and I wouldn't be here preaching to you today. And I was thinking, you know, it is so important 
to know where you're going. Because, you know, I didn't have goggles, that was one mistake. And then also the, the pool was in green, right? So how can you see anything? So it's really important to know where you're going. Because if you don't know where you're going, you might crash into the wall. And I think here, Paul's final warning is exactly like that. If you do not love the Lord, then you'll be cursed. You'll be an anathema by God. If you do not hold on to this gospel, if you are not brave, if you're not strong, if you're not courageous in holding on to the truth, then you will be cursed by God. If you do not want to live by what the gospel says, if you know what the Bible says, if you do not live by it, then you will also be cursed by God. If you do not want to love, if you do not do everything out of love, then again, a curse will be on you. That is your future. That is, that is what, that wall is right in front of you there. So therefore, as we come to the very last chapter of 1 Corinthians, let us really listen to the exhortations of the Bible. Let us hold on to the Gospel. Let us live out the Gospel. And let us do everything in love. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear loving and heavenly Father, as we come before you today, truly we want to ask you to help us to be brave, to be courageous, be strong and steadfast and firm. Let nothing move us from your word, dear Father. Let us not be shaped by whatever voices there may be calling us to believe things which are not in your Bible, which try to tempt us to live ways which are against what is right before you, to resist the temptation to be selfish and to live only for ourselves and to keep and not to share. Dear Father, help us to see that that is all part of loving the Lord Jesus Christ. And that if we do not love the Lord Jesus Christ, then truly our future is very bleak. That we are an anathema. That we are cursed and eternally condemned. Help us to love the Lord Jesus by living rightly before you today. Keeping your gospel and loving one another. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.